All right, well, it is a privilege to be with you again this morning, and uh, we just had a wonderful family vacation, so it's hard to come back, but it's great to be here, and it's great to <coughs> get a chance to plunge right back into what God has called me to do, so I'm grateful to have this opportunity. And for those who were with us last time I spoke, we are... Um, beginning a journey through the Hall of Faith. You know, there's a lot of Hall of Fames in the world today. You can go to a uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You can go to a Football Hall of Fame. You can go to a Basketball Hall of Fame. And I'm sure there are even some more obscure Hall of Fames that we don't know about. But this is the Hall of Faith, and I think it's important because it gives us examples and patterns for how to live a victorious and successful Christian life. And we're going to look at the first, one of the um, first people in that hall in a little more detail today. If you want to turn to start out um, with to Hebrews 11, we'll start there and then we'll be going to Genesis. But Hebrews 11 verse 4 says this, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. As a matter of fact, Abel uh, is brought up again three or four more times throughout the Bible. And it seems that each time he is brought up, he's brought up as an example of righteousness, and his brother is taking not far behind him as an example of evil. So the contrast is very stark between these two characters. So we're going to look at that in, uh, in brief today. Our primary text will be Genesis chapter 4. If you are taking notes... Um, this is simply the second part in the Hall of Faith series, and we're focusing on Abel. And the first point is God's will must be done his way. Um, there's a lot of examples in Scripture about how people tried to do God's will their own way. Abraham was told that he would be the father of many nations, and then his wife was barren, so he decided um, to go his own way to do what was humanly thought to be the remedy, and we still have civil unrest in the Middle East as a result. So doing God's will in our own way can often have disastrous results, and we'll see that in our passage today. Let's start with the first five verses. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flocks and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. 
And I want to make a couple points here. Um, it's kind of interesting, as my father and I were discussing this morning, that there's really no gap given between the time that um, Cain was born and the time that his brother Abel was born. So some suppose that they were twins, although it's never stated in the text definitively. I think it, it kind of would add a layer to the story because twins, um, brothers have enough trouble being compared to one, with one another, but I'm sure that twins have an even greater problem. And that, of course, is not in the biblical text. It's just a supposition, so we don't want to draw too much from it. But I thought it was worth noting. And uh, <clears throat> and then it talks about them being born, and it talks about them growing up and, and choosing occupations. Now, there wasn't a whole lot of occupations on the earth at the time, but they still had distinct occupations. Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain, a tiller of the ground. So they were, they were very different people from the beginning. <clears throat> and in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the first things of his flock and the fat thereof. And God had respect unto Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering he had not respect. So let's look at that a second. Cain <clears throat> brings from the fruit of the ground, which in some ways makes sense because he's a tiller of the ground. And we don't know for sure whether this was a sin offering particularly. I, I have tend to believe that it was, and so that understanding of it would say that you would have to have a blood sacrifice for it to be uh, acceptable. But we do know that there were also grain offerings later in the Old Testament law, so there is possibilities there. But there is something striking here, because when it talks about Cain's offering, it says he brought of the fruit of the ground, but it doesn't say anything about the best. In the book of Proverbs, God tells us to bring of the first fruits of all our increase, not the leftovers. When you have a guest over for dinner, you don't say, let me see what I can dig out of my fridge and uh, make this guest feel welcome. No. Oftentimes, you have a very specific menu that you want to prepare, or at least a general idea of something that you want to prepare, and you buy all the things that you need so that you can give them the best that you have. And that's what God wants from us. And it says of Cain simply that he brought the fruit of the ground. And of Abel it says that he brought up the first things of his flock and of the fat thereof. So Abel <clears throat> is saying, this is God. I'm going to show him respect and reverence by bringing him the best that I have. And God showed respect unto Abel. And then Cain. This kind of gives an allusion to Cain's overall attitude because Cain went and he did this offering and he kind of just decided to do it his own way. And what happened? Instead of uh, going to God and being repentant and saying, maybe I can do this over again and do it right, he was angry. 
How often does that happen to us? We do things our own way, we get into trouble, and we get mad at God. I think God gets the blame for a lot of the stupid things we do. And we need to be careful about that. To end this point, I just want to share a quote from J. Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China. He said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Sometimes the way that God communicates his desires for us is by closing doors. And we can either say, thank you for communicating through that closed door, or we can grab the crowbar, try to take off the doorknob, and shove the door open, regardless of what God wants us to do. I know I've been there. So my encouragement to you is to pay attention to what God is saying to you. He uses his word, and he uses other people, and he also uses the life circumstances that we are going through to communicate what he has for us. Could someone look up and read for me 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, just by way of cross-reference for this first point? 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil, and his brothers righteous. Okay, so the interesting point in this passage is, a lot of times we do evil to our brothers to make ourselves look better. Cain, I don't know if it was just in a moment of passion, or if it was a, if it was a long time premeditated act, but Cain thought that his life would be better if Abel were out of the picture. Because because Abel's righteous actions, I believe, as communicated through this passage, brought conviction to Cain. When we're convicted by someone, we have either two choices. We either can use that as a means to repentance, or the other choice is that we don't want to spend time with that person or in that situation where the conviction will continue. Because God is relentless, especially when you're a believer, about convicting you about the wrong that you are doing. So, moving on to point number two. Sin is a choice. Sin is a choice. Genesis 4, 6-10 says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desires, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why is Abel, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. 
So, so Abel is or Cain is mad at God because he didn't do things God's way. And then God simply asks Cain, "Why are you angry? If you did what I said, then you would be accepted." And I, I think there's a lot of that today. God has given us a clear one way to go to heaven. One way to be right before God, and that is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And people try all kinds of ways. But God has outlined it. As a matter of fact, Jesus said this. He said, Him who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. And now God is giving us a warning about sin. And he's saying, if you do the right thing, you can have rule over your sin. Oh, no. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I misspoke. But he's saying... If you do well, you'll be accepted. But if you don't do well, sin is waiting at the door. You ever notice how sin breeds more sin? If you tell a lie, oftentimes you have to tell another lie to cover it up. An old saying goes, if you always tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. And I think that's good wisdom. And so, instead of heeding God's words, Cain continues on this trek of doing the wrong thing. And he talks with his brother Abel. And of course, Abel's like, this is my brother, so of course I'm going to talk to him. And they went out in the field, probably so that they would be away from Adam and Eve. And then Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? I have a question. I have an interesting question for you. Do you think God is going to ask a question that he doesn't already know the answer to? Well, the obvious answer is no, because he knows everything. But I find it interesting that Cain, almost like Adam, thinks he can hide something for God. Remember remember with Adam it was he, he heard God in the garden and he ran and hid because he was naked. And then God had the exchange of, who told you you were naked? How did you know? But just like his father, Cain kind of thinks he can hide the truth from God. And his answer is, am I my brother's keeper? And we often use that phrase today. But just think of the implications. Like he's actually engaging God himself in this conversation like he's going to come out on top. And God says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. 
So, God at this point is defending Abel. Because Abel did the right thing, and as as we we read we read in Hebrews, Abel is a picture of righteousness. And I thought this was a really interesting quote going along with the um, idea of sin as a choice. Temptation usually comes in through a door that has been deliberately left open. This is huge for me. I don't know about you, but this is huge for me because it's such a great reminder. Oftentimes we say, well, I sinned because I was walking along and I just got blindsided by whatever my temptation is. Fill in the blank. But a lot of times what happens is we think that victory over a temptation means that we stick ourselves in a tempting situation and we don't react to it. That's victory over temptation. But Paul told us to flee from youthful lusts. Flee is taking action to go the opposite direction of sin, not to put yourself in a place where you're going to fall. Joseph in the Old Testament was a perfect example of this. He left his clothing behind and fled from Potiphar's wife. It wasn't saying in that passage that he wasn't at least on some level attracted to the situation. It was saying that he was committed to integrity before God to such an extent that if it required leaving his clothes behind, he would get out of that tempting situation. So my question for myself as well as for you is do you have that attitude toward the things that are tempting you? It would be ridiculous for a uh, for a an alcoholic to have a six pack of beer in his fridge and say, "I'm victorious because I haven't touched it today." No victory for an alcoholic is more saying, "I will never allow it in my house again because I know that it will make me stumble." For someone that struggles with lust, it may be not going to a certain store or past a certain store because you know that it's going to to cause you to commit that sin and, and sin leads to other sins. So if we just make sure that we're not leaving these doors open, we will be so much better able to deal with temptation. It will be so much less of a fight if we learn to flee. And then, the third point that I want to make today is sin's consequences can linger. Genesis 4, 11 to 15. And now, this is God continuing to talk to Cain. And now art thou cursed from the earth, 
which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from my hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come, come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. You know, I wonder as I read this if Cain understood the grace that God was showing him here. The punishment that God gave Cain unfortunately does not appear to have led to repentance. Cain was not sorry for his sin, merely sorry for the consequences of his sin. And God is saying to Cain, you're going to wander the earth. And I think he's really alluding to the fact that Cain... That he, that he feels that Cain is going to go his own way no matter what happens. And so he's just passing the sentence that you have to go away from here and you have to pursue nothing, basically. That you're going to be a wanderer for your whole life, that you're not going to have anything substantial to hang on to. And this is the second time that God talks about cursing the ground. He talked about it for Adam. And now he's talking about it again with Cain. I wonder if he's making it even more hard for Cain than it was for Adam. But it's interesting that he mentions it again. That um, nothing's going to yield. The earth is going to be a pest to you. You're not going to be able to, to do these things easily. It's just going to... Uh, be a be a labor of you know futility but then the lord does something which we would maybe consider strange he puts a mark on cain and he says to cain whoever kills you vengeance will be on him Sevenfold. Now it almost seems to me in human understanding that God should say to him, I'm going to take vengeance on you for what you did to my servant Abel. But he doesn't. You know, I want to take a, a few minutes right here to talk about the mercy that Jesus Christ offers us. Jesus says that we can have eternal life. And it says in Ephesians chapter 1 that when we become to faith in Jesus Christ, we are given the seal of our inheritance, the Holy Spirit, to guide us and to help us do the right thing. Because 
We can't do the right thing on our own. Abel wasn't righteous because of this offering as much as he was righteous that this offering was a result of his righteousness. This offering was a result of the fact that he understood what God wanted from him. And he understood what God had given to him. So my question to you is, are you right with God? Do you have a living relationship with Jesus Christ? The only one that can take away your sin. John the Baptist said it this way, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. There's a lot of people today who are trying to do things good. They're trying to do things their own way. The rich young ruler said this to God himself and Jesus. When Jesus told them about the commandments, the rich young ruler said, All these things have I kept from my youth. But what major one was he forgiving? The first one Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus knew. That the rich young ruler's wealth was the God of his life. And so he told the rich young ruler, sell everything you have and give to the poor. And then you will have eternal life. And the man went away sorrowing because he had much wealth. And it says, and Jesus looking at him loved him. Can you imagine the pain and agony that that must have cost Jesus to watch that man walk away knowing that he could have eternal life but that he was choosing not to accept it. He has that same pain and agony for the loss of this world today in 2013. He wants to see people come to him and he wants those who come to him to be sold out for him. To be yielded channels of his mercy and his grace. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I urge you to do so today. Repent of your sins. You say, well, I didn't kill my brother like Abel did, or like Cain did. But the Bible says, Jesus himself said, if you hate your brother, and if you call him a fool, then you're guilty of murder. And the Apostle John brings this, up, brings this up again, that if you cannot hate your brother and love God, 
And if you do love God, if you are called according to his purpose, are you living like you are? And I'm pointing at myself too. There's a song that often comes on the radio that says, I want to live like that. And let everything I say and do point to you talking about Jesus Christ. And there, I, like, I like the part in the second verse about when it talks about when people pass me, even if they don't know my name, is there evidence that I've been changed? When they see me, do they see you? That's the prayer of my life on a daily basis. That when they see me, that they see Jesus. Sometimes it's a scary thought because I'm not perfect. I fail. Just ask my family who's lived with me for years and years. But I know that God's grace is exceedingly more than all my failures. And I, I just... It's so important. And... I know that we have a strong emphasis on preaching the gospel in this church and and I, I agree with it. I'm not going I'm not saying it's wrong. But just make sure that you're not preaching an empty message. Because the practice has to match the preaching. And a changed life goes further to reach people than any sermon ever could. Because I can sit up here and spout tons of verses and they could be 100% true. But if I'm not making application of them in my life, they're not going to mean anything to the world who already has a hard time understanding the truths of the Scripture. I found this quote by C.S. Lewis and I think it's a very good one. We have the strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. But mere time does nothing either to the fact or the guilt of sin. For one thing, in the natural man, sin leads to more sin. So, without God's help, virtually no time will pass before we're in sin's grasp again. But we've already established that it's not about being good, because none of us are capable of being good. We don't become not guilty of a sin because we haven't done it in a year or ten years. We become not guilty of a sin because when people point to us and they accuse us, we point back to a cross. A cross where a perfect man, the only perfect man that ever lived, 
died for our sins, was buried for three days according to the scriptures, and rose again according to the scriptures, and was seen by 500 people at once, confirming that he was alive. We don't serve some statue with no ears to hear, no eyes to see. We serve a living God who is ready to take our sins. The work's been done. The question is, are you going to rest in his work or are you going to be restless in your own? Those are the two choices that we have. Could somebody read Galatians 3, 10, and 11? salvation, how many laws would we have to keep in order to be saved? Well, I know there's at least over 600 in the Old Testament. And if we continue it on the modern day and we say we have to keep the law of the land, of course we should endeavor to do so. But we're talking a lot of laws. So we would inevitably fail. But what God was doing when he put forth the law was he was saying, you can't do this on your own. Paul said, I would not have known sin unless I knew the law. He said the law was a schoolmaster to bring people to Christ. And he wasn't just saying that as an arbitrary measure. He was saying that by speaking as speaking from experience. Because as a Pharisee, he knew the law better than most other people. And yet he still said, the law can't give us salvation. But there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That is an amazing Truth. And sometimes we hear some of these truths and we've heard them so many times through our lives that they cease to be amazing. Because we hear the words and we don't realize the spirit of those words. Do you realize it's been a while since we read this aspect of the story, but when Jesus died on the cross. Something very significant happened in the temple. The physical curtain between the rest of the temple and the Holy of Holies 
was rent in two. The Holy of Holies was exposed for all time. Why? Because we have the, the power and the ability through the blood of Jesus Christ to enter boldly into the throne of grace to cry out for help in time of need. Often I hear people, and I, I've done it too, often I hear people say, when they say they need prayer, it's because they've exhausted every other resource. And I, I heard one lady, she said, I really need prayer for this. And somebody said, has it come to that? My friends, it should come to that five seconds or less after you know that you have a need. Because prayer is the most powerful weapon that we have in our arsenal. Because we don't deal with flesh and blood. We deal with angels and demons and principalities and powers. You know, God is more powerful than the devil, but the devil is powerful. And we need to be aware of that. Just to review, as we close, God's will must be done His way. You can want to do a very noble, godly thing. But if it's not the thing God made you for, it could lead to disaster. I think that's so important to grasp. <coughs> Second point again, was sin is a choice. Yes, we were imputed as sinners because of Adam and Eve's sin. But ultimately, we are also sinners by practice. And we will be held accountable for our sins. I'm not held accountable for your sins. Or my father's sins. Or anyone else's in the room but my own. But considering that my righteousnesses are as filthy rags, then how ugly must my sins be? Only Jesus can take those. And the third point again was sin's consequences can linger. Sometimes we act like we live in a bubble, like the decisions that we make don't affect those around us. But every decision that you make affects somebody else in some way. We don't live in a bubble. <coughs> and even if we did, like some of the monks tried to do, there would still be issues and consequences. So as we close, my challenge to you once again, are you going to rest in him? Or are you going to continue in restlessness as you seek to do your own work? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your merciful grace. We thank you that even in the Old Testament, even in Genesis, you are showing us a picture of your grace when you said that mark I came. And you promised to avenge anyone, avenge him of anyone who would try to kill him. Lord, we pray that we would have uh, your mind and your heart as you would give it to us. We pray for anyone here that has not experienced your grace that they would do so today. That they would know that they know that they know that they have eternal life through Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> 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 the effect of that change.